Mac Power Users, episode 654, Data Storage in 2022. Hello and welcome back to Mac Power Users. My name is Stephen Hackett. I'm joined as always by my friend and yours, Mr. David Sparks. Hey, Stephen. How are you today? I'm good. I feel like we haven't talked in a while. You had some time off, uh, which I'm excited to hear about. But uh, I'm glad I'm glad you're back, too. Yeah, I missed you, man. I missed you. And uh, we got a good topic today. Uh, we're going to be talking about storage, which is always evolving. So mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to getting into this one. Yeah. Any preliminary announcements? Yeah, a couple things. Uh, we are nearing September. And if you've been around for a while, you know that that is when Relay FM holds its annual St. Jude fundraiser. Uh, this year, that's going to start September 1st, and so we will have links and more stuff to talk about uh, very soon. Uh, of course, you can follow the network on Twitter, uh, at RelayFM. We'll be making announcements there as well. I'm very excited about it this year. We're doing some new stuff. Uh, there's going to be some new ways to fundraise. We have a lot of cool incentives this year. If you fundraise certain amounts, you get certain really cool things we've been working on for a long time. And the live show, the podcastathon, will be Friday, September 16th from noon to 8 p.m. Eastern. That'll be live streamed on Relay's Twitch channel, but it will also be uploaded to Relay's YouTube channel, usually sometime that weekend. It takes a long time to process and upload eight hours of video. <laughs> so at, at some point over that weekend, it'll be there. We'll strip the audio out and put it uh, publish that as well. So uh, but we'll be talking much more about this, but I kind of want to get on people's radar that very soon uh, we will be uh, doing our good work for St. Jude again. And that work's only possible because of listeners giving so, in such amazing ways. We raised $700,000 last year, and that is because of the kindness and the generosity of the Relay audience and the kindness and generosity of the MPU audience. MPU always has a really good showing in this, and so I'm excited to be talking about this in more detail very soon. Yeah, and what the listeners don't know is how much time and effort you put into this behind the scenes. Just being your friend and knowing how much you do on this, it's just really uh it's really great, man. Yeah, it is all encompassing, but it's it's totally worth it. Uh this morning yeah. I had a, a long conversation we're building a building some stuff for the set and uh we had some ideas there. So like, yeah, we're just going to have a phone call about construction this morning. Like, sure, let's do it. So it's uh it's it's fun to share that. Yeah, construction man. I'm uh, I'm mm-hmm. familiar with that concept lately. Yes, sir. <laughs> also, today on more power users, I took a vacation with just my MacBook Air. It's time to report in. I mean, yeah, I wonder how it know, went. So, I mean, your family yeah. went too. That sounded bad. Um, yeah, they did come. <laughs> just you come. and your MacBook Air went to the beach. <laughs> Can well, you imagine? We, we needed we needed some quality time together. You know, it's a yeah. new relationship. Yeah, so, you got to get away yeah. and figure it out. Uh, yeah, I'm very anxious to. Uh, to hear about this um, and just talk about taking some time off. You've had a very busy year. So we will do that in, in more power users uh, for our members at the end of the show. All right. But today is about storage. And this show really started with a text message you sent me about a client problem. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I do uh, a, a little bit of tech consulting still. It's mostly like holdover from when I did it full time. I got a ha- cu- couple of clients and um, I got a call from someone who I haven't seen since before the pandemic. 
and she is a uh, an in, an indie worker like like me and you. She is an independent graphic designer. She's been doing it for a really long time, and she has a like a I think like a twenty seventeen ish five K iMac uh, that served her really well, and uh, she has big storage needs, and this is kind of where the story comes from. So. This iMac had a spinning hard drive in it, and we had talked about for a while, hey, let's, you know, when you have some downtime between gigs, let's uh, crack it open and put a solid state drive in it. I've done this for a lot of people over the years, including once at, at MacStock, which was something that yeah. I will never forget. Yeah. In fact, I had flashbacks to it when I was doing this one. Um, it's easier when there's not a room full of people watching you. So that's nice. Or people are like like eating like a burrito while, yeah. while they're watching you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. So there's, uh, so we're going to do that. So she had a, a, like, um, maybe like a one terabyte internal spinning hard drive and we're going to put a, a a two terabyte solid state drive in it, give her some more breathing space and obviously way faster performance, but that still wasn't enough because she has, you know, really at this point, probably decades of archived projects. And anyone who has worked in the graphic design field knows that sometimes people are like, oh, that pamphlet we did 10 years ago. You know, we ran out of the thousand we printed. We need some more, and you got to go find it and update it. And she keeps everything as she should. And in 2017 or so, um, we set up a an external RAID enclosure. So this was an enclosure by OWC that had two four terabyte spinning hard drives in it, and we set it up for those drives to be mirrored. And so. Mac OS saw these two drives as just one as a four terabyte volume. And with this enclosure, it's actually, we'll, we'll get to this later, but there's software and hardware RAID, and there's some pros and cons to each. This hardware RAID, so the box itself, there's a controller in there, you crack it open, there's a little logic board with chips on it. It is in charge of, okay, when a piece of data comes in, put it on both drives. And so both drives stay the same. And... Uh, we did four terabytes. It was enough space for her at the time. 2017, I mean, that's what, uh, five years ago now? Four years yeah. ago? Five. Jeez. <laughs> what time, man? How does yeah, it work? Right. Um, yeah. Some of the other day was like, yeah, 2013 was nine years ago. I was like, how? How? How is that possible? Yeah. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, you know, spinning hard drives, it, it, was, it was a situation. It was the solution that made sense five years ago. And so we have the RAID. And I set it up to back up with Backblaze because Backblaze can back up direct attached drives. So it's all set up. It's been working great. I go over. We put the SSD in the iMac. That all goes well. I you know put Monterey on it. She was she was running like um, Catalina maybe. She's a couple or she was a couple versions behind. So we got to Monterey, migrated everything. Of course, with graphic designers, they have fonts and four thousand copies of Photoshop. Got all that strained out. Yeah. Uh, got it all put back together. And the next day, she goes uh, to get something off the archive and realizes that it's not mounted anymore. It's not showing up on the desktop. And, you know, we had everything unplugged. And I said, okay, well, let's just, you know, um, let's make sure everything's plugged in. You know, maybe the USB cable didn't get seated all the way, you know, something silly. Um, and the thing just won't show up. It won't mount. We reboot the iMac. We try to power cycle the enclosure. It won't work. Now, these enclosures all have little LEDs on them. And you can look it up in the manual. Like, okay, this color LED or this number of flashes means certain things. 
Yeah, it's like a code. Yeah, yeah, exa- yeah. It's like talking to R two D two. You gotta, you know, understand what he's saying, and it wasn't attempting to rebuild. And so sometimes what you get, if you have one drive have a failure or something, um, then it will rebuild the array and make sure everything's straight. It wasn't doing. It basically wasn't doing anything. The drives were spinning. I could touch it and feel the drive. You know, a little bit of vibration, but they wouldn't mount, and. I was like, well, let's, you know, first things first, let's make sure that if we can't get this data back, it's, you know, we can, I basically was going to go ahead and order back blaze, you know, their recovery. And what they'll do is they'll put it on a hard drive for you and they'll, they'll ship it to you. I was like, let's go ahead and do that. So we know we have everything. And then I will get into this. Yeah. Well, at some point in the last five years, that raid got dropped by Backblaze. And I'm not sure why. Uh, they are There are some details around Backblaze's external hard drive backup that you need to be aware of. And the reason they do this, and they say this in the document in the show notes is, this would be an easy thing to cheat, right? You could have your Synology with 22 terabytes backing up to Backblaze and they're going to lose a bunch of money. So it's... There's some there's some limitations, and one of them is that if a direct attached drive, so USB, FireWire, Thunderbolt, etc., if that goes missing for a set amount of time, Backblaze will send you a notice and say, "Hey, your external drive hasn't been backed up in 15 days. You might ought to plug it in. Um, and if it's detached for longer than 30 days, Backblaze basically says, "Okay, this drive must have been." Uh, you know, done away with somehow. So I'm just going to get rid of it. Yeah. My, my only assumption is that happened at some point and she didn't notice the notifications or the, uh, who knows, right? It's been five years since we set it up. There's no telling. So I thought that Backblaze would distinguish between a RAID and a external drive, basic drive, right? And that the terms of service prohibited a RAID backup but would allow an external drive. That was That's always been my understanding of what you get. But... Maybe I'm wrong. It it won't let you do network, network. attached storage. Yeah. But okay. if it's direct, uh, I don't, I mean, especially if you're using a hardware RAID, Mac OS doesn't know anything about what's tell. in that box. So I think it just sees it as a, as like a USB drive. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, that's, that's sad. Yeah. So at this point, my stomach is like fully on the floor, right? Uh, yeah. there's not a backblaze copy. This box isn't mounting. Can't get the, the volume to show up. And um, so I decide, well, it is mirrored. So before we go spend, you know, seven grand or something at a, a real data recovery place, because I called and got a quote and it was like, it'll either be 3000 or 7000 We don't know. I was like, well, that's a lot of money. Yeah. It's like, well, they're mirrored. And so as long as I only deal with one of them, the other one can kind of be preserved in amber for like adult data data rescue if if you know data recovery if we need it. Yeah. So I open the box, I pull one of the drives out, put it in a different enclosure, and then there's this application I've used a not a lot, but if I ever need this, it's the one I turn to called Data Recovery. It's by a company called ProSoft Engineering. I don't know anything about this company. There's no affiliation or anything. I've just used their application over the years. And there's other data recovery tools for the Mac. This is the one that I've had luck with. So downloaded it, paid for a license, 
And it took three days, but it recovered everything off of one of the drives. So the one that I was willing to mess with. Because in these situations, you don't really know what's going on. I figure since they neither would show up on their own, there was some sort of formatting issue. And that maybe the controller had done something and, you know, the file system on the drives was messed up. But it was able to recover everything. She has a lot of sorting out to do because when you run these tools, basically you get like a folder of JPEGs and a folder of Word documents and a folder of PDFs. Like because the file system was damaged, it doesn't know where anything lives. And so she has a lot of work to do to sort that out, unfortunately. But it took three days and it recovered it all. And that's what set this conversation off with me and you because it's like, I want to talk about this on the show because yeah, most people don't have a raid and you know, have all these, these things going on, but you can really, the lesson I learned was like, it's really easy to find yourself in a situation where things you thought were working aren't working. And so now, like I told her, I was like, you know, if you get a notification from Backblaze, it's really important to pay attention to it. And maybe every once in a while, it's not a bad idea to open the Backblaze system preference pane and just make sure the archive is still in there, right? That it's still, that it's still backing it up. Yeah. And, but I'm so glad we got our data back. I mean, it would have been really expensive to go the professional route. I think we would have done it if we needed to, because again, this is her whole business. And, um, and just to close the loop now, now what we have going on is we bought a single four terabyte SSD in a USB C case. That is her archive, a single SSD, and it is getting backed up nightly to a four terabyte spinning hard drive via carbon copy cloner. So every night it copies any changes from the SSD to the hard drive and it's getting backed up to Backblaze. And she knows to every once in a while to go in and check on that. I got, I got rid of the raid. Uh, I didn't trust that enclosure or those drives anymore. And maybe that's like some superstition, but I just, I grew up doing tech support at a time of spinning hard drives. Like if a hard drive hiccups, I'm just going to put it on the shelf. Like they're not that expensive. And like, I don't trust any of this anymore, right? Like there's something going yeah. on here. I don't want to mess with it. And so uh, she's now set up and, and has everything. And of course, an SSD in her iMac and an external SSD for archive. She's texted me a couple of times like, you know, you told me this would be fast, but this is wild. I'm like, yeah, it's it's awesome. <laughs> um, but uh, that's kind of what what kicked all this off. And, you know, it's very easy to get into uh, into a situation where, uh, where things aren't doing what they're supposed to do. And you can, you know, you can lose data really pretty easily. And with this particular person, it was her business. And that would have been obviously really bad if if I hadn't been able to recover it. Or, you know, we wouldn't we would have gone out and spent all the money to to have it recovered. But if it's your family photos or your dissertation or, you know, uh, voice recordings of a of a loved one who's passed away. Right, like you you want to make sure all that data is safe and sound. So that's kind of the goal of today's episode to talk about storage mediums, cloud storage, backup, kind of all in one place. Because over the years we've done episodes about these things separately. We've done backup episodes. We've done cloud storage. You know, we did a cloud storage shootout thing a few years ago. But this is. Our goal, I think, today is to kind of have a broad overview of kind of where it stands because like the hard drive to SSD thing is radically different than it was five years ago, right? We didn't spend yeah. that much on an SSD and they continue to fall. So we kind of just wanted to put all this in one place with kind of up-to-date information. 
Yeah, and it, it evolves. I mean, we do shows around these topics every three or so years, and the thing changes. Like one of the big changes we're going to talk about today is um, home and enthusiast users used to use RAID arrays that don't necessarily need them anymore because hard drives have got big enough and stable enough, both the spinning type and the SSD type, that now you may want to simplify. I have, and we're going to talk about that. Um, and like when you said earlier, you know, why we did a spinning drive five years ago, well, it's because you would have had to like, you know, it'd be the same price as a Porsche, you know, to yeah, buy. Yeah, an arm and a leg. Yeah. Yeah. To buy a four terabyte SSD back then. But, mm-hmm. but either way, um, uh, that's a great story. And I think that I, I want to refer back to it as we go through the show today, because for listeners, I really don't want you to get caught in this. And we do hear from listeners occasionally that get caught in it. Yeah. But even more often we hear from listeners that don't get caught that like say, Oh yeah, everything, you know, went upside down for me, but because you had told me to sign up for Backblaze, I was able to get it. Or mm-hmm. uh, because you had mentioned that I could copy this Dropbox, it was there. And I want those success stories for our listeners. I don't want yeah. the failure stories. Yeah, and it's one of those things, too, that, I mean, so many of us in in the audience, right, we are the tech people for our friends and family. And you know, John Syracuse has said this uh, years ago, and it just came up recently again, I think, on ATP, about he thought, the time machine was like the single most important feature Apple ever added to Mac OS 10 because it made backups a thing for people, right? Because before then you had to use yeah. some third party utility or God forbid you're doing it manually when you just happen to remember. And so we have these tools now and it's about choosing the right solutions for the right person and situation. And so that's kind of what we want to go through today. This episode of Mac Power Users is made possible by 1Password. Visit onepassword.com slash MPU to learn more, and you'll get a 20% discount when you sign up. It's really cool. 1Password is the app that David and I both trust to store all of our passwords, our logins, banking information, credit card information, to keep it all safe and sound. That doesn't mean that it's locked away on one device. I have to enter some sort of inner sanctum to get my data. It all syncs with 1Password. I use 1Password for families so I can share it with my spouse and 1Password for teams at work. And on the iPhone and iPad, I'm really enjoying the new version of 1Password that is rebuilt from the ground up, redesigned. And one of my favorite things about it is that on the home screen of the app, you can rearrange the sections that you see. So maybe you really want to see recently modified or recently used logins and not just your favorites or you can add those really easily and they auto update like smart list would do in in a reminders app it's really really handy to get stuff quickly you can also pin items to the top of the home screen so say that there's a two-factor authentication code you need pretty often or you want your twitter password to be just a tap away you can make it a favorite and it shows up at the top above everything else and it gives you a really quick access to that piece of information 1Password 8 for iOS and iPadOS is a new application you can check out in the App Store. I've been really, really happy with it. Of course, it comes with all the great features and security we have known about 1Password for a long time. You can unlock with Face ID or Touch ID. It integrates with the system autofill uh, that's built in now. It's really fantastic. So if you want to learn more about 1Password for families or teams or just for yourself, 
Go to onepassword.com slash MPU. You can sign up for a free 30-day trial there. And when you sign up, you'll get 20% off. Once again, that's onepassword.com slash MPU. Okay, you want to start uh, by just talking about storage mediums, because I think that's kind of underlying all of this. Is where do you put the ones and zeros? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it's a great place to start. And it's, again, we are... I think we're towards the tail end of it now, but over the last five years or so, we've really been in this this shift away from spinning hard drives to SSDs. Of course, Apple, I mean, really going back to like the original MacBook Air, but especially that 2010 one, right? The 2010 MacBook Air was like, hey, it's all flash. It's all SSD. Yeah. And there, there are a ton of benefits there. Uh, SSDs are way faster and they are way more robust. They still fail. Everything will eventually fail, right? Like we live <laughs> we live in a fallen world. Eventually everything will break down. Yeah. But the speed and reliability is fantastic. And it makes sense that they really started in mobile products, right? If you dropped your iBook, you could literally crash the hard drive. And if you have a solid state drive in your notebook and it falls off a table, you're probably not going to lose your data. That's all great. I remember one year at Macworld, um, Andy Anatko, like he didn't even drop it. It like, it like the front of it fell off the front edge of a table in the speaker room, like very, like maybe a quarter of an inch. And that was it. You know, I mean, just the technology of a hard drive, if you stop to think about it is insane. It's, um, a record player that's turning around 7,200 times a minute or is it a second? I don't even remember. Revolutions per minute. Yeah. I per guess. minute, so seventy two hundred. So it's very going very fast, and the needle has to drop at exactly the right place and carve a new track into it. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like, how does that work at all? You know, but <laughs> it's a miracle. You know, yeah, but they, uh, <laughs> but they do. As a result, they do fail, and you know, then there's like a physical motor and spinning things. So there's like mm-hmm. there's a lot of pla- places that things can fail. Yeah, where you know, it's almost like the difference between an electric car and an internal combustion engine in that. There are a lot of extra parts to keep an internal combustion engine going. An electric car is basically a motor with wheels attached, and or an electric motor with wheels attached. You know what I mean. Um, so the SSD does not have a lot of moving parts. It's a storage location that you drop a one or a zero in, and that allows for it to be very fast and allows to not have things break. You know, the downside, of course, is it costs more. Mm-hmm. Whereas hard drives do have all of those risk factors associated with them, but because they've been around so long, you still really can't beat a hard drive for capacity per dollar. That's been falling on the SSD side big time. But if you are building out a huge array, you know, in a data center and you need, you know, a petabyte of data, hard drives are the way to go. Right, And at that scale, you can have redundancy built in that if, if five of them fail in this enclosure, it's fine because we have all these complicated systems. But on the level that we all play at in terms of you know, consumers, professionals, I'm using a computer to get my job done, but I'm not running a data center, hard drives are slowly on the way out. I mean, ideally, uh, for me, a hard drive is still fine for time machine, but... Uh, I would recommend, uh, you know, if you, if you can, to be booting from a solid state drive at this point. And as the prices fall down, like you can get SSDs for your time machine, which is really fast and quiet and robust. But we're 
I think we're past the tipping point to SSD, but the prices are still falling and that's going to take a little while to fully make its way into the world. Uh, the other issue with SSD is again, the level we're playing at, like you're talking about two and a half inch, you know, SSDs, or, uh, if you build a PC, you can do it like right on the board. They are capacity caps there. You can get an eight terabyte, you know, Samsung two and a half inch SSD. You're going to spend a lot of money, but I haven't seen much bigger than that yet. And so if you need real capacity, hard drives still have the edge. Yeah. And what I would add to that is, you know, for the home user and the enthusiast, the space, you know, everybody has to make their own decision. We're going to talk about our setups later in the show, but I still think there's a place for the spinning drive for that one extra copy. You know what I mean? It's like the, uh, you know, the old day the cowboy kept an extra gun in his boot, you know, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, a hundred bucks, you can get like a eight terabyte SSD. I'm sorry, eight terabyte spinning drive. And like, once you've got your whole system planned, you know, just make one extra copy and stick it in the closet, leave it with a friend or something for a hundred bucks. It's just like that extra, you know, looking at your client scenario, if she had just one extra SSD backing up that OWC, she would have been in the clear, you know, and not everybody's going to do that. If you're listening to Mike Powers, I think there's a really good chance you will. Like with my wife, I, I feel like just getting her a time machine plugged in that she regularly plugs in that's that's a win but for those of us that are kind of like the data chief of our little domains just that extra hundred bucks for mm-hmm. a spinning drive so I, I still think there's space for it but yeah. i agree and looking back like going back to that story at the top that is what we should have had in place we should have had you know bought another four terabyte drive and have the raid cloning to that every night and we just didn't. And I don't remember if it was a budgetary thing or or what, but yeah, having that extra layer, it would have saved a lot of heartache in that situation. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's in the past now. Uh, uh, there's another kind of middle category, which I don't know, is it still relevant in 2022, but the, the fusion drive. Yeah, I mean, they're still around if you have uh, an Intel iMac. Uh, Fusion Drive was this technology rolled out by Apple years and years ago where you would have a small SSD and then a big spinning hard drive. And Mac OS would do magic behind the scenes to make it appear as one volume. So your machine would boot really fast and applications or documents you used a lot would open really quickly but then stuff you didn't use as often would kind of get shuttled off to the hard drive and you would, it was invisible to the user, right? You would just see one Macintosh HD on the desktop. Now, again, they haven't built those machines in a while. They are still a bunch of them out there. They sort of, Fusion drives are the best and the worst of both worlds. You get pretty good speed and you get a bunch of space. But if the hard drive fails, it breaks the whole system. And then you've got like the the rebuilding and recovery is a bit more complicated. But it was a, a something Apple relied on honestly too long. I mean, a few years ago, we were talking about this a lot of like, why does the 27-inch iMac still have a fusion drive? You know, why is it not all SSD? And they got there in the end, but there are a lot of those kicking around. And if you have a, an iMac like that, I would consider going all SSD if you're looking to keep that machine for several more years. It's a great upgrade and really gives you, I mean, it really makes it feel like a new computer. 
Yeah. And, and now there's other categories that businesses use like tape backups, uh, DVD backups. Mm-hmm. Um, for the purpose of today's show, I don't really want to go down that rabbit hole too much. I, I, and people may disagree with me. You can sound off in the forums, but I feel like that's really not a solution for Mac power users at this point. I feel like it seems like a whole different system to get mixed up in. Yeah. At this point, hard drives are cheap and SSDs are stable. And I feel like if I'm going to make a recommendation, I would keep it to those two medias. Mm-hmm. But there are others out there. And if you think I'm full of it, go out and check out tape drives and um, and like DVD backups. There there are such things. But, you know, there's also concerns about bit rot. And, you know, those things have their own perils attached to them. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's definitely beyond the scope of, of this episode, and it's that's like a whole another world of knowledge too, right? That I even when I was consulting, I had very little experience with. If you have needs like that, I would say find a professional <laughs> you can talk to about those things. That it really is a whole different world to what we're talking about. Yeah. All right. So we've talked about the types of storage medium. I want to talk about their locations, you know, when you get these drives, because something that is kind of integral to what we're going to talk about today is, is the drive internal or external? Because uh, when you buy a new Mac, I mean, you can buy an eight terabyte SSD internal Mac, and that's going to solve a lot of your problems without external drives. Not everybody wants to spend that kind of money. So a lot of this stuff, you know, varies between uh, storage that you've got located inside your device versus outside. And I'd specifically like to address uh, SSD speeds internally versus externally. Yeah. So, so, I mean, we're both desktop users. I feel like that's one of the biggest factors. Like, yeah, just what your setup is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm a laptop desktop guy. Sure. I guess you call it at this point, but yeah, I got a four terabyte drive on this thing and it's because I didn't want to monkey around with it. And with the Apple Silicon max, the storage is integral to the CPU. It's just, part of it. I mean, we've never had that to my knowledge on a consumer computer. And as a result, they've got all of these buses attaching this storage and it's just so fast. And even when you get an external SSD with a Thunderbolt and, you know, you get the best possible connection, I don't think anything can hold a candle to what you get with internal storage. Yeah. I mean, Apple's changed the game there, but, uh, but I would also say that if you're going all SSD, even external, and you're going over, you know, USB-C that's running at, you know, 10 gigabits a second, or you're even doing Thunderbolt, yeah. which you can do, I feel like we're past the we're past the threshold of being fast enough for most yeah. things. Again, there's always yeah, edge right. cases, but mm, I, yeah, if you step off to a hard drive, you're going to notice. Right. If say that, so say that you have your photo library on an external hard drive, that's going to be really slow compared to everything else. But if it's on an external SSD, it's probably going to feel about as fast in real life as it would if it were internal. Yeah. You know, you're right. You're right. Maybe I'm making too much out of this, but, but there, I, I do think that that is actually at least a consideration as we're going through these things. Like, is this, is the storage inside or outside the Mac? And, you know, the ability to add storage. And um, you talked earlier about this this RAID array, but mm-hmm. not everybody understands that. Could you explain, you know, the basics of RAID? Yeah. So, so the idea is you're going to use more than one hard drive 
or solid state drive, but RAID is generally used with hard drives, more than one drive to achieve different goals. And there's different types of RAID, they're called levels, uh, different RAID levels of that get you to different places. And so you can do a RAID 0, which takes two drives and combines their capacity. So you have two four-terabyte drives, you have about eight terabytes of storage. The downside of that is that if you lose one of those drives, you lose all the data because the way the data is stored across the drives, really difficult to recover from. Again, there's professional recovery out there, but Stripe Zero generally is picked because you need capacity and speed and redundancy is lower down on your priority list. Yeah, and just to emphasize that i mean nerds call it scary raid because you're doubling let's say you've got two spinning drives in there you're doubling the chances that you're going to have data failure because you know either one of those goes bad then you lose everything so raid zero you don't see very often Mm -hmm. temporary data you know with lots of it but yeah raid one is the one that i think a lot of people use and it's it's mirrored so you put two drives in you know, put two, you know, four terabyte drives in, and that's probably what you had with your client. It sounds yep. like, cause they were, they were d- doubled and you've got one drive saving data and you've got another drive that's got the exact same data inside of it. Yeah, exactly. And, and for again, use cases that us normal people have mirrored is the way to go. It is slower. So you take a hit on speed, but redundancy gets moved up the list. So again, it's all about trade-offs when you select yeah. what kind of rage you want. The the third type, and there are others, I'm kind of hitting the main ones, is RAID 5. And there are other RAID types that are very similar to it where basically you're, you're using three or more hard drives and there is some combination of striping and mirroring. RAID 5 and others use what's called parity data, so if a hard drive fails, the the array can rebuild the missing data based on that parity information. So that parity information is basically would tell the system, okay, this is what was here and this is enough to rebuild it. Uh, these, you know, very often are much bigger enclosures, so they're louder, they're hotter. They, depending on exactly how you do it, speed can be okay but you're trying to walk the line of, I want some speed and redundancy. And, you know, RAID 5, RAID 10, there's other things that they're all very similar. But I think most people, if you're going this this way, are going to use use mirrored uh, a mirrored RAID. And, and honestly, and, you know, maybe I'm colored from this recent experience, but I think for most consumers and even pros, I really think RAID is something that, you probably really don't have to explore. As SSD sizes get bigger, there are other ways to get, you know, four or eight terabytes of data uh, availability without adding a bunch of multiple drives together. But there are a lot of these out there, and there are uh, a lot of standalone products that you can just buy and get one of these. Like I mentioned, the one that she was using was an OWC one that had a little uh, an enclosure and a little controller inside of it. Um, you can also, you know, go with something like the Pegasus line from promise. They're, you know, real high end multiple, you know, eight or 12 <laughs> drive bay things. So they're, 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 they're still 
reasons to go with this, but I feel like for sort of most people, for Mac Power users, I think the the reasons have gotten less and less over time. Yeah, I mean, the, what's happened is the spinning drives have got way bigger and cheaper, and they're at RAID sizes now. And the SSDs have got way bigger and cheaper, you know, comparatively. And the other thing that has always worried me about RAIDs is that, you know, everything is one in one box, right? You know, so like if something goes wrong inside that box or the box gets stolen or a truck falls on it or whatever, even though you've got two copies of the data, they were both in that box. And I really think there's something to the idea of having separate, in, a, in essence, separate boxes for this data, so long as you're willing to put up with the inconvenience of making mm-hmm. sure the copies get made. And and now that is so affordable. I mean, like, for the cost of one of these RAID boxes now, you can buy two 8-terabyte hard drives or maybe four of them, you know? And suddenly you've got lots of things or options you can use to, yeah. to store your data. Yeah. I touched on this earlier, but I do want to draw the line between uh, hardware RAID and software RAID. So okay. hardware RAID is basically what we've been talking about. You get that box, you get that enclosure. It's got some settings. You know, the OWC ones have a little dial and you say, oh, I want this to be RAID 0 or RAID 1 or whatever. And there's a controller in that enclosure and it's in charge of everything. And to your point, and probably what happened with my client, is that that controller did something it wasn't supposed to do and it cooked the drives. The the alternative is software RAID. Uh, speaking of OWC, they sell a product called Soft RAID that I've used in the past. Software RAID lets you break into individual boxes. So say you had four, uh, two or four, you know, four terabyte external hard drives. You know, you, you went to Best Buy and bought a couple of WD My Books or whatever, haven't plugged it on your desk. Software RAID is a, a program that runs on top of Mac OS that, sees those drives and the software manages how data should be distributed among them. And historically, like back when I was doing this, you know, kind of consulting full time, software wi- software raid had a tendency to be more fragile. Even though the hardware raid it's all in one box and you have a single point of failure, if one of those drives in it boot up in sequence with the others or the computer crashed overnight and restarted. Software RAID just had a tendency back in the day to kind of break down and fall apart. Now, Software RAID is very good about managing those issues and being able to put things back together very quickly. It is an option. I tend to think hardware RAID is the way to go, even though you have that risk of everything being in one box. That's why having backups to your RAID is important because RAID is not a backup. RAID is a storage solution, just like a single hard drive is. So getting your data out is still really important, but I generally tend to shy away from doing this in software. Yeah, I, you know, I've never installed a software RAID because just instinctively, it feels like a bad idea to me. You know, it's like I know how software can be finicky and I don't want anything being finicky with my mm-hmm. backup. Yeah, it used to even be a feature in disk utility. I think it's been gone for a long time. I was like, don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. uh, it's bad news. You know, if you've got that sort of need, I would say make one of those drives sort of the the head drive and then have the others, you know, get cloned to every night or something and, and don't, don't even mess with the RAID. Yeah, but I, I honestly think 
um, you should really think twice before even doing raid at this point. I feel yep. like we've reached a point now where most people listening to this show are going to be perfectly serviced by just traditional external SSDs and spinning drives. They're, they're so big now. It's, it's like you can get a five terabyte, you know, kind of laptop sized external SSD that's bus powered. Um, I had a couple of them Velcroed under my desk for a couple of years mm-hmm. and they were my back. That was my raid box in essence. You know, I had one going to time machine and one going to, to, um, to archive storage. And it was just, you know, it's just so easy now. And also it gets all the noise out of the room and the point of failure and something else you've got to update the firmware on. And I don't know, I just, I got tired of all the headaches. Yeah. Uh, we should pour one out for Drobo while we're on the topic. We should. Uh, I know Drobo in the past has had a lot of time on the show. And for a long time, it was, it was kind of the Apple version of this, right? You got this nice yeah. box. It was all enclosed. It had its own, uh, its own software that managed it, but they have been, um, they've, well, they filed for bankruptcy. So they've been on the, uh, they've been on the, on the ropes for a while. And, uh, that's a, a bit of a bummer because it's so, it was such a nice solution for a long time. And I used one for a long time, but at the end of the day, I think the market sort of corrected for Drobo where they were using a proprietary system on top of raid recovering from that was very difficult. If your, you know, enclosure failed or you had a dry failure, depending on what happened, it could be very difficult to recover from. And they were slow to adopt new technology. They were slow to move off of Firewire. They were slow to have a network-attached option. Their Mac app was slow to be updated, and I think the market kind of moved beyond them, which, again, is a bummer. I've got fond memories of them, but I would um, I would not buy a Drobo today. I, I think what happened was, because I think they got more focused on business than consumer. Mm-hmm. And I think when they made it as a consumer product, it was gangbusters. And when they they shift their focus to business, uh, I don't think they ever kind of re- quite recovered from that. But either way, they're not around anymore. But I, I think at this point, if you're going to do a raid, like Steven said, look at the OWC or the Pegasus. But but you know, really think long and hard before you invest in raid. I, I feel like for a lot of people, um, you're buying problems with raid that you don't need. And I'm not saying everybody, you don't have to write me, but I think for a lot of people, um, you know, you, you can spend your tech dollars better elsewhere. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Electric. Unbury yourself from IT tasks. Go to electric.ai slash MPU and get a free pair of Beats Solo 3 wireless headphones when you schedule a meeting. When leading your small business, it's not all glamour. In fact, sometimes it's a matter of spending hours trying to find a laptop lost in the mail for a new hire or dealing with some other technical emergency, which you're well-equipped to deal with, but you maybe don't have time for. The team over at Electric knows small businesses, maybe like yours, face these challenges. That's why they've solved this problem for you by operating as your IT department. Instead of spending your time sorting through unused application licenses, setting up employee laptops, and answering never-ending IT questions from your team, you can build that empire with Electric acting as your IT department. You can get back to what you're good at. Plus, you get a really cool IT platform to see and manage everything. 
Delegation is super important when you're working on your business. And even though you are a little bit nerdy, hey, you're listening to Mac Power Users after all, that doesn't mean that you need to take on the IT responsibilities. Your time is way too valuable for that. Get Electric to do that for you. I've been there in my past, and I wish I had Electric at the time. For Mac Power Users listeners, Electric is offering a free pair of Beats Solo 3 wireless headphones for taking a qualifying meeting. Just go to electric.ai slash MPU. That's electric.ai slash MPU. Go there now and get your free pair of Beats Solo 3 headphones today for scheduling a meeting. Check it out, and our thanks to Electric for their support of the Mac Power Users. So far, we've been talking about storage that's directly attached or even inside your machine. Um, just quickly, I want to touch on storage that is sort of near line. So network attached st- storage or storage is attached to another computer. Um, a NAS or network attached storage. There's lots of options here. Basically, the way I think about it is it's a box full of hard drives that's also kind of its own small computer. Synology is the popular choice here. There are other brands. You can even build your own if you want to. But this is, you know, it's more than just a bunch of dumb storage. These are computers. And like the Synology, for instance, can, you can run multiple file shares. You can set up a time machine server with it. You can sync with cloud storage providers or run Plex or run VMs. I mean, you can even use a Synology for a DVR for security cameras. Like they are basically computers that have a lot of storage in them. And from the Mac user perspective, you are connecting to it over the network as an SMB share. Uh, Synology has iOS and iPadOS apps. And if you have your network set up right, you can access your files from wherever you are. It's well beyond just a device plugged into the back of your Mac mini. But for some people who have need for those other services, it can be a good solution. Or if you like just tinkering with stuff, it's a fun thing to tinker with. And you get a bunch of hard drives in there and have a bunch of storage. And because they're Ethernet, you know, and they're on the network, you don't have to have it right next to your Mac. Exactly. You can have it in the basement and it can bang around down there and you never hear it. I mean, I ran a Synology for, so so my sort of history is I had a Drobo. I actually had a failure and kind of just washed my hands of it. And I used a Synology for almost probably six or seven years. And I had it in our pantry. And I had a... The pantry was easy to get to from the attic, so I ran Ethernet in there. And those hard drives could clatter away, and with the door shut, you didn't hear them. It didn't get hot or anything. It was totally fine. But I eventually got to a point, and we'll talk about what we were doing at the end, but I got to a point where I just wanted everything either inside of my computer with my Mac Pro or now with my Mac Studio, everything directly connected. If you're just an individual, this is it's fun, and like you can have all these other services. You see a lot of network attached storage in offices that maybe they don't need a full-blown server, but you can put a Synology in the network closet and have a big share for everybody. Probably overkill for the home user, though. I think one category of home user might benefit from this, and that's the media hoarder. Oh, yeah. Like, like if you're the guy who has, like, all the episodes of the X-Files and Star Trek, The Next Generation, or whatever, you know, get all those digital media files, you know, the the was it the plex server Mm -hmm. is really nice and so so there are uses for that or maybe you just don't trust dropbox and icloud and you want to have your own cloud storage this kind of can be that so 
there are edge case people that I think this makes a lot of sense for. But again, just to buy the Synology without any storage in it is the value of, you know, probably an eight terabyte SSD. Yeah. You know, so it's like, just make sure you you want it. And mm-hmm. and I think Steven's point that they're fun is another good one to make. Like, you know, if you're listening to Mac Power Users, sometimes it's just fun to tinker with stuff. And you're right. Synology offers a, a very broad scope of tinkering, you know, things you can, software you can install, things you can do with it. But I have never gone down that road. You know, once the Drobo, you know, gave up the ghost on me, I just moved to hard drives. And I, I have been yeah. very happy with that decision over the years. Um, another thing you can do is just use a Mac mini, right? If you don't want to deal with Synology, the, the ultimate, you know, remote storage solution, if you're a Mac user is another Mac and, you know, they're about the same cost as a Synology and you can hang a bunch of drives off the back of it and you can have it, you know, running mail rules and, you know, doing anything a Mac can do. If you want a 24 seven Mac, like, if you're a laptop person and your laptop, you know, isn't big enough to hold all your data, you put a Mac mini in a closet somewhere with a, you know, a six terabyte drive attached to it with your photos library and all that stuff. That that's a, also a very good solution for this stuff. If you're, you know, data constrained or, or storage constrained on your, your typical laptop. Yeah, absolutely. And you can run time machine server, right? So if you're a notebook user, or if you're like me and you have several notebooks in the house with family members, right? They can all back up to a centralized place. Uh, you can turn on content caching. So software updates are faster to download for the people. There's a lot of stuff because you you have a Mac OS box sitting there all the time. You can run Hazel and have your Dropbox sync to it. Like you can do all those different things. Some of that can be done through a Synology. Some of it can't. You know, it's also a great way to repurpose uh, an older Mac, you know, I, I wouldn't do this with a Mac that's 15 years old. You know, I, I would want relatively recent versions of Mac OS being able to run on it. But we're in this transition and say that you're moving from an Intel machine to an Apple Silicon machine. That Intel Mac is going to be good for a long time to come. Maybe a good time to experiment with this. If you've got, you know, an, an Intel, you know, 13-inch MacBook Pro that you're getting ready to retire, you know, you could put it in the closet and put a big hard drive hanging off of it and you might find it to be really useful. Yeah, I feel like if I were to go down any of these rabbit holes, it would be this one because I would like to, you know, have rules running 24 seven and things mm-hmm. like that. But because um, now, particularly that my laptop is my desktop, um, sometimes it isn't available. And um, so that that tickles me a little bit towards doing this, but I still haven't done it. But yeah, I do think this is something that a lot of people uh, do already and can find use for you and I did a whole show called the mighty Mac mini. What was that about two years ago? Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. We probably need to go back and look at that again, but every time the Mac mini comes up, there's a little part of me that like a couple times I've priced them out, you know, just to put a headless one in the closet, but I haven't gone down that road yet. Are you, are you doing that at all anymore? Or you're, you're, uh, you used to do this, right? Yeah. I I still have a, a Mac mini. It is, under the TV, it's a DVD player for the kids, and it does serve as a time machine server, mostly for the MacBook Air that my kids use for homework. But none of my data is stored on it anymore. All my data now is here in the studio, directly attached to my Mac Studio. I don't have a network share that I go out to very often anymore. So it's been it's been downplayed in importance for me, but it is a, I think it's still a really good option for a lot of people. 
and I keep coming back to this, but my current system of just having some nice hard drives attached and SSDs just works so well. And it's so simple. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this has not been true historically. You know, if you go back 10 years ago and we talked about this, there's no way I would have said, oh, just go buy a hard drive and you're okay. You know? Yeah. So we haven't mentioned cloud services yet, but I think they do play a role in this. Um, We've mentioned Backblaze already, which is a online backup service that both of us use. I think they were a sponsor at some point in years past. I've kind of lost track, but, um, you know, I pay for them. I've always paid for them. Same. Um, I just think it's a very valuable service. I think currently I pay $60 a year or $50 a year. And man, when you think about, you know, that's basically the cost of a nice meal. Mm-hmm. And it backs up all your data for the whole year. And with an attached, especially if you follow kind of my lead and you put a big attached drive to it, you're getting your money's worth out of it. I feel like MPU listeners, they probably lose money on in general, but uh, <laughs> you attach an external hard drive. So that's a, a bit of it. But, but you know, cloud uh, services are different breeds too. And that, that is these drive or these storage or file service services, uh, starting with Apple's iCloud. Uh, which was not the first player to this game, but they've been around long enough now um, as basically Apple's version of Dropbox. Now, there's a lot of different things Apple calls iCloud, but iCloud Drive is what we're talking about today. And that's an online storage. I mean, it's kind of the spiritual successor of iDrive, um, where you've got a drive that shows up or a, a folder, essentially, that shows up in your Finder, and you can store stuff on it. You can take things on, off, take it on. You can share things. Um, you know, this is the discussion of, uh, this is a point of much contention from Stephen and I about Apple and their five gigabytes of free, I'm putting air quotes up storage. Um, I think it's the biggest black eye probably in the entire company right now. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I was trying to think about it. Like what, what is Apple doing right now? That's worse than only giving you five gigabytes of free storage. And if you, you can think of something, let us know. But to me, this is like really up there. I mean, I looked it up and we talked about this on the show in the last six months. Cause I remember looking at then Steve jobs was the one who announced this, that it was five gigabytes of yeah. sweet free storage, you know, it's been that long. And um, yeah. And the Beatles were together. I'm sorry. The five gigabytes has been the standard free storage longer than the Beatles were a band together <laughs> at this point. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. And, you know, I think that that might be somewhat influenced by Apple's drive for services revenue. You know, they want people to pay for services, but I, I just feel like it's a huge black eye. I mean, people spend so much money on Apple hardware and they give you five gigabytes of storage. You can buy additional 50 gigabytes is $1 a month. 200 is $3 a month and two terabytes is $10 a month. And that's always kind of changing and evolving, but I'm using two terabytes now. And I use a lot of that storage. I mean, we share it with the family, but I mean, there it's it's really great having this cloud storage, and it, it just shows up. It's really nice in that sense. You don't have to worry about it. You know, it just works. But you know, uh, over the years, we've heard from a few listeners that had data loss and problems with iCloud Drive. I have not personally heard that story now for quite a while. I'm sure when, now that we've mentioned it on the show, mm-hmm. the stories will will arrive. But so that's nice. Uh, it's native. So you don't have to install things like we're going to talk about Dropbox in a minute. I'm not a fan of the Dropbox software. You know, the iCloud software doesn't, doesn't seem to like interrupt your, your Mac as much as Dropbox does. 
Um, it's integrated. It's great to use on iPhone and iPad, you know, cause it's integrated like that. But, um, the thing that I, I really don't like about it is just the lack of control and, you know, features where, you know, with Dropbox, you can say, I want this file always downloaded. iCloud's more of a kind of don't worry, you're pretty little ahead service. And it just does what it thinks it should do. And you can force it to download, but that doesn't mean it's going to stay there. I mean, like we talked about backup earlier. We've heard often from listeners who put a bunch of data in iCloud, but then they don't click the box to say, keep everything local. Mm -hmm. There is a way you can do that. And if you don't do that, and you're backing up with everything we recommend, and then you have a data loss, and you go back and you see that a bunch of stuff isn't there, it's because iCloud never put it on your drive. Now, yep. you can probably recover it because iCloud, just because your drive failed doesn't mean iCloud failed. Um, but it's like, that is kind of um, a little hair-raising, right? You know, you don't mm-hmm. want to, uh, you, you, when you say you want all your data backed up, that's what you mean. So I, I don't know if I re- can recommend iCloud as the only solution I've really tried to make it work for me over the years, but I still have Dropbox that I use for certain things. Yeah. I just want more control over it. You know, I've got the space. I pay for the space of the family plan, but Dropbox just gives me so much, not only control, but also sharing options with people that I rely on. It's, it would be very difficult for me to move even if I wanted to. Yeah. And and Dropbox isn't perfect either. So let's talk about that for a second. I mean, uh, they were kind of the first really successful player, but their software is burdensome and heavy. I did an extended test earlier this year with Maestral, I think M-A-E-S-T-R-A-L, I think is how they spell it, yep. which is a third party. And I went out of town and my ads for the show didn't upload to you and caused me uh, a bunch of grief that I had to like figure out. So that Maestro left and Dropbox went back on. Hopefully they sorted out. Eventually I'd like to see that get so stable that I can use it. it you know, Dropbox isn't the the perfect solution either, but it, it is in terms of user features. It's, it's very powerful. Mm-hmm. And it, there's a little bit of an issue as we record this. Hopefully it's not an issue in the future, but Dropbox, um, in, in Mac OS 12.3, Apple changed the API or deprecated the API that Dropbox OneDrive, all these other services use where the folder, the file or the folder looks like it's local, but it's really stored on, on the cloud and it downloads on demand. And so currently those files and folders still show up, but you can't open them from within an application. You have to go to Finder and download them first. And Dropbox says a beta is coming, although they said that earlier in the year and it hasn't shown up yet. So yeah, n- no system is perfect, but for me, the the overall package for Dropbox makes the most sense. And basically, you know, it, everything on my notebook basically is in Dropbox. And then on my on my desktop, you know, any files that I share with anybody, that's where they are. Yeah. And because you have multiple Macs and iOS devices, having this cloud storage really makes it convenient to have everything everywhere. And um, that's one thing about these these services, like historically you would think they were for collaboration, but it's really for just data portability more than anything. It's not a backup, it's portability. And granted Dropbox and even iCloud has some, you know, restore features and the ability to get things that have been deleted depending on which plan you have. But um, uh, I would not treat these as backup services. They really are just, 
you know, a way to distribute your files on the cloud. Yeah. Uh, Microsoft OneDrive is also out there. Five gigabytes free. Also like Apple, they're really killing it. Um, the, um, and you get that if you have a Microsoft 365 account, which a lot of people do for work or uh, personal businesses, uh, you get a bunch of storage with that. More mm-hmm. than five gigabytes, I believe. So that's something to look at. Google Drive is 15 gigabytes for free. You know, we, we've never gone to the next level on this, Stephen. If you were Apple, how much would you give away? I like Google's 15 gigabytes and, you know, then you can, then you can pay for more. I mean, this, uh, only Apple knows the hard numbers, but I would imagine that most people who pay for iCloud are paying for the lowest tier, unless they're like me or you and have a bunch of family members, uh, hanging on to their plan. I have to imagine 15 gigabytes would be enough to encapsulate a lot more people, but I don't know. I wish they would do it. If they may, if they gave me Tim Cook's job, I would say, if you buy an iPhone, all your photos are stored for free. Be sweet, and er- and everybody gets fifty gigabytes. And then the next day, the board would fire me. So you know, but but I I think for the amount they charge, just a given that your photos are backed up should should be there, whatever that is. You know, you're paying sometimes twelve hundred dollars for a phone. Yeah, you should know that your photos are backed up, and then you get like fifty gigabytes on top of it. That, mm-hmm. So I, I'm very generous, but that's why I would only have the job for one day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you'd be you'd be a goner. Yeah, other options, you know, Synology. We talked about what is Rosillo? Rez- you had listed that in the outline, but I'm not familiar with that. Yes, so Rosillo is. Uh, we are assuming we were saying that correctly, but uh, there's only yeah. show notes. It is built atop of BitTorrent technology. So yeah. you can set up a folder on your Mac or a folder on your network attached storage and it will sync that data between all of the devices. And it's doing it where uh, it's using the BitTorrent protocol. So sometimes you may have situations where networks have that blocked, but you have a lot more control over uh, over what you're doing. And you have... Um, basically point-to-point syncing where you're not relying on a server to do it. The application is going out and syncing the data directly. Resilio doesn't have a copy of your data. So there's there's no recovery option. But for some people who want to roll their own or have something that's a little bit more private maybe, uh, this is an option. I played with it last year for a while. I had very good luck with it syncing. It was fast and didn't have any errors. But again, my workflow is all built on Dropbox. So... I'm not looking to really change that, but it is a nice option out there. If you, uh, you know, have uh, issues with these other services or just don't want to pay for a bunch of storage, this might be a a nice alternative for you. This episode of Mac Power Users is made possible by Squarespace. You can get a free trial and save 10% off at squarespace.com slash MPU with the code MPU. Squarespace is where I love to build websites for organizations, individuals, small businesses, nonprofits, because everything you need is all in one place. So say that you want to have a store, you've got digital or physical goods to sell, maybe you're selling content, really easy to build that in Squarespace, set it up to the payment stuff you need, all the forms are there, all under one roof. If you want to send email newsletters, you can make it look really awesome with their templating and their styling tools, and their SEO and analytics apply to both the website and your email. So you can see 
uh, where people are coming from, what's working, what isn't, and it's really easy to understand. A lot of these tools, analytics are complicated, hard to understand. Squarespace has worked really hard to make it easy to make good decisions about what's going on with your website. I built a bunch of Squarespace sites uh, over the years. My brother just built one for his sort of personal brand apart from his from his nonprofit. And it was really easy. He had some photos and colors he wanted to use. And it was up and running in just a very short period of time. Now he's blogging. He's sending emails out. He has sign-up forms, everything you need. And again, it's all in one place. Squarespace provides it all for you. If he wants to sell something in the future, it's really easy just to add that to the site. We're not looking at a rebuild or a re-architecture to do that. So for a free trial, head on over to squarespace.com MPU. Again, there's no credit card required. Use the offer code MPU to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Once again, that's squarespace.com MPU. 10% off with the code MPU. That shows your support for the show. Our thanks to Squarespace for sponsoring Mac Power users and supporting Relay FM. So let's talk backup a bit. You know, we we did a full episode on backup four ninety nine a couple of years ago. That's like two hours on the topic, but I feel like we've got to cover it today too. And there there has been some change in my thinking on mm-hmm. it since we recorded that show. Um, the starting with the cloud stuff, we were just talking about these cloud services. I just want to put an emphasis on putting it on Dropbox or iCloud is not backing it up full stop. It's just not backing it up. Don't, don't rely on that. Uh, and people who do that ultimately lose data. Yeah. Anything that syncs, if something goes wrong, that whatever went wrong is going to get synced around. So say that you're working on a document, you actually delete it. That deletion is going to get synced to other devices. Now, most of these cloud services to their credit have recovery options, but Backup is really, uh, we're going to talk about the three, two, one strategy in a second, but the way I think about it is backup is a one-way street unless something is actively being recovered. So my time machine drive, things go from my MacBook Pro over to its time machine drive, and it's a one-way street, and the time machine drive is always accepting those changes. And I only go back the other way if something has gone wrong. and any sort of syncing or even raid, honestly, it violates that because it is it is a two-way street and backup should be one way unless you're actively recovering. Yeah, I mean, when I was wearing my lawyer hat, I used to do a lot of work with expert witnesses and I would always do a Dropbox share with them. And I honestly can't tell you the number of times that the expert would just decide to start deleting files randomly from the shared folder. You know, and they would delete from my folder as well. I mean, obviously, I never put the source documents in the in the expert folder because I knew they were bozos and they were going to do stuff like that. And you can sometimes recover, but you can't always. But I mean, to 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 make it it even worse, you know, when you have a Dropbox or shared iCloud storage, then you've got another human in the element who can absolutely start deleting stuff on you. And if you don't realize it, then you're, you're, you're guaranteed to lose data. Mm-hmm. Bad idea. Um, okay. So you mentioned three, two, one, let's talk about that. Yeah. So this is a blog post we have linked to before. And I think, uh, because I think it's the best thing I've read on backup. Yeah. Uh, keep at least three copies of your data store 
two backup copies on different storage media. So the SSD in your laptop and a spinning hard drive time machine. Uh, and store one backup copy off-site. So for a lot of people, that's Backblaze. Others of us also clone to hard drives and store those hard drives, you know, in another building or someplace else. But the idea is three copies of the data, two different storage medias, one backup uh, that is off-site. I have an alteration to it. I'd like to change the two from two different media because I don't think that's as important anymore. I mean, when this first came out, people were using like CDs to back up. Yeah, yeah. Which uh, didn't I, age I well. would rather <laughs> use two as a, you have two as in one local and one in the cloud. Yeah, I think that works. Yeah, you count, count the cloud as a different storage media. It totally works. Yeah. So three copies, two different locations like cloud and, and local, and then at least one offsite. And that kind of that second one kind of solves the first one. Mm-hmm. But if you really want to go nuts, you can make your own offsite. Just you know, get a drive and share it with a family member. Yeah, I think for for most people, those er, those early you know first line backups are Time Machine and iCloud backup for the Mac and and iOS devices. They're built in, easy to use, easy to set up. You can set up for a family member. And like, you know, tell them, hey, you got to plug this into your, your MacBook Air every once in a while. And that first step gets you so far. Um, you can go further, but if you're not doing those basic things, then that's where you should start. Yeah, I, I like to think of it as, you know, um, Time Machine Plus. Like you do a Time Machine backup, but then you do something else, yep. whether you clone the drive or do a Chronosync backup or, you know, you do something to make a separate copy of the data. And that's the one that's really hard for non-nerd family members. Like, I can tell you with my family, um, I give each one of them a physical drive that they plug into their laptops. Um, I used to try and manage it on the cloud for them and do different things. But I um, I kind of want them to take ownership of it at this point. You know, they're all adults. Um, just plug it in, you know, once in a while. and. Mm-hmm. But, but, you know, you could definitely do better with like a cloud system. And then I will go and, and like back up them with a clone drive myself once in a while. But, you know, I can't think I'm going down a rabbit hole here, but just, you know, make sure that the time machine isn't the only thing you do. Yeah. Especially if you're leaving the time machine connected to your computer sitting on a desk. If a thief comes in, they're going to steal your backup along with your computer. Yep the place catches on fire, it's going to go up with your computer. It's just, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's just not secure. Yeah. We mentioned cloning. There are a couple uh, Mac applications I think are worth mentioning here. Uh, One is carbon copy cloner by Bombich software. Uh, This was, is written and managed by somebody who used to work at Apple on, I think disk utility actually, and like a bunch of low level technologies so it knows about APFS and SSDs and Time Machine, all these things. And with Carbon Copy Cloner version 6 now, you set up different tasks that have you know different source drives, different destinations. You can attach automations to them. So you can have, hey, every night, wake up my computer, back everything up on it to this hard drive. And then when it's done, eject that hard drive and put my computer back to sleep. You can have it set up where back this up immediately as soon as this volume is attached. So if you have a hard drive you store off-site at your parents, you go home, you get it, you come back to your place, you plug it in, Carbon Copy Cloner will see it and start the backup. 
loads of options, loads of flexibility. And it's been my go-to for a, a really long time. It's what I use personally. It's what I set up for people if they ask me. It is a definitely a long-standing application, sort of in the the Mac universe, and one that has has really never let me down. Yeah, and another option there is Super Duper, mm-hmm. which is another long-standing app. I just checked they they're out for Monterey at this point. I haven't used Super Duper for a few years now, so I. I can't uh, endorse it, but um, I've been using Carbon Copy Cloner as well. But uh, Super Duper always worked in the years that I had it. Um, so that's another option. Uh, another way you can duplicate data, which is a, a bit more nerdy, is there's an app called Chronosync, which is part of the um, setup uh, suite as well. And Chronosync, I bought this years ago. It's one of these apps that give you free updates forever. And i I must have owned this app now. Uh, well, it's over 10 years for sure. But um, it allows you to back up a select group of folders. And so if you want to make sure something always lands on the archive, or if you just want to say, you know, get these particular user folders and back them up, and then it will do, it does a one-way backup where it looks where if there's anything new, it just keeps adding on to it. It's a little bit of a setup. It was a much bigger app back in the day before cloud storage was a thing, mm-hmm. you know, when you wanted to duplicate data to another Mac. But I think it's still also a good tool in your belt if you're going to be doing backup. Yeah, another another great option for sure. And, you know, we've been talking about Backblaze the whole show, but honestly, it you know, we can't have a backup discussion without saying at least consider Backblaze. And yeah. there are competitors to Backblaze, um, all of them I used over the years, a couple of them I used over the years and for various reasons was unsatisfied. Um, Backblaze, I bought into them before they started sponsoring. They didn't sponsor us very long, um, but the um, I continue to be a customer. I think it's a good service. And like they just, they're really into this. They get, like one of the things they do is they send out a report every year or so about drive statistics that I find fascinating because they buy so many hard drives they can tell you which manufacturers are making the best drives, you know, on a yearly basis. Yeah. The the other cloud backup things I've used in the past, Backblaze seems to have the most well-behaved Mac app, I yeah. think, and has a lot of settings. Uh, a lot of them will just basically take over your network connectivity and just shove it through the pipe as fast as it can. Backblaze has a lot of smart settings around that. It can detect your network speed and do a bunch of things. I've used others that anytime they're running, it's, you know, especially on a hard drive or a fusion drive based system, everything feels slow. That's indexing is really heavy handed, those sorts of things. So yeah, Backblaze is the only one I've used for a long time outside of experimenting with others. And you can have multiple computers under one plan. So I've got, you know, my desktop, my laptop, my wife's laptop, all under one Backblaze account. So I can log in on the web and see what's going on with all of them and, and you know, make sure everything's working. So it's it's a nice option too if you have multiple machines or family members that you're contending with. I mean, going back to your Time Machine Plus strategy, which I think is so good, think about that family member, right? Get them a Time Machine drive, put them on your Backblaze account, and then you can see that it's running, right? You yeah. can manage your recovery if something goes wrong. And you're paying the six bucks a month or whatever. And, you know, they'll view it as their Christmas present that year. I really like the centralization that Backblaze can pull off that 
some of these other tools just don't have. Yeah, you know, I think about my oldest has moved out now and starting her career. And I think I may just add her to my back blaze. Yeah. And just send it to her because, yeah, that's probably a good idea. <laughs> uh, back blaze is going to get more money from me. That's all right. It's well well spent. One word of warning. When you set up Backblaze for the first time, definitely go into the settings and throttle down the upload because like I had it just kind of working hard in the middle of the night for me, but even that was too much. And my cable company throttled my, um, my internet. They wrote me, Hey, you're, you're abusing our, you know, our data mm-hmm. and, uh, we're, we're, we're cutting you, you know, we're cutting you off buddy. And so, so I had to call them up and I said, Hey, I'm just doing this big update with the backup and, It'll be done in a few weeks. And they said, okay, but you know, we're watching you. And uh, so just, just be warned, you know, because you're going to be uploading terabytes of data to the internet when you set that up. Right. A a lot of plans have a cap on your upload. Um, For me, I don't, I I have pay for business class. I have unlimited uploads. So, but I do have the automatic throttle option checked. So it, works out my network upload and what else is going on and will throttle back if necessary. There are still times where I go in there and I manually pause it uh, with Backblaze. You can say, Hey, uh, you know, pause this backup for a set amount of time, but it is, um, it's something to be aware of definitely with any cloud backup or even cloud sync, right? With iCloud or Dropbox. If you drop a terabyte of information on top of Dropbox uh, and you have a terabyte upload cap with your, internet provider, you may run into problems. Yeah. And the other thing that Stephen mentioned at the top of the show that is a great feature of Backblaze is if things go pear-shaped on you, the um, you can always contact them and they will send you a drive with your data so you don't have to re-download everything. I have never had to do that, but it sounds like you may have for some of your clients. I've done it once and I was getting ready to do it with this one, except that the Backblaze configuration had, had gotten messed up. Um, it's a straightforward process. You sign into your account. There's some options on give me everything, just give me these things. They send you a drive. Everything's there as you expect it. And, you know, it's definitely a break glass in case of emergency situation, but it is really nice knowing that if, you know, an asteroid hits my pod cabin, then I can, you know, in a few days, UPS will hand me a hard drive with all my stuff on it. Yeah. Yeah. My parents were born in the depression and when they died and I was going through the house, I would find like, like a, a, an envelope with a thousand dollars in it and Mm -hmm. cash. Like they had like squirreled away, like in a couple places, like they had like done that i do that with my photos library so in addition to (laughs) like all the backup stuff we've talked about here the three two one i'm more like you know six five four three two one you know i think because i've got like little drives like in my sock drawer with like a a photos backup from like six months ago Mm -hmm. it's just like i can't help myself i just keep backing stuff like if i have an extra drive that's still working and it's just sitting in a drawer. Why not put some data on it and put it away somewhere? Yeah. And someday if something goes wrong, I can find it. I love it. That's hilarious. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by SourceGraph.com, which gives you universal code search and allows you to move fast even in big code bases. 
So you've hired a brilliant developer. That's great, but now you have to get them onboarded. If your company is growing, onboarding new developers will be a common occurrence, but it's a big undertaking each time. One of the biggest challenges for new hires is to get up to speed with the project their new team is working on. This can be tricky if the code bases your developers are working in are already large. Thankfully, Sourcegraph makes it easy to move fast, even in those big code bases. Developers know that knowledge is most useful when it's findable, and centralization is helpful, but given the fact that most companies store knowledge in at least two different locations, how do you make knowledge accessible to those that need it? As a code intelligence platform, Sourcegraph gives developers what they need to drive their own learning over time and in different situations. Teams without Sourcegraph need to rely on asking colleagues or reviewing out-of-date documentation, which is cumbersome and time-consuming. But with Sourcegraph, every developer can search across millions of repositories to find specific code, saving time for themselves and everyone else. So when questions do come up, you know it's the big stuff that's worthy of the extra time. Sourcegraph was created to make developers' lives easier, and today they work with leading companies across every industry, including three out of the five top tech companies, plus PayPal, Uber, Plaid, GE, Reddit, and Atlassian. Once again, that's about.sourcegraph.com to find out why some of the biggest tech companies in the world use Sourcegraph and to see what it can do for yours. Or just click the link in the show notes to let them know you heard about it here on the Mac Power Users. Our thanks to Sourcegraph for their support of the Mac Power Users and all of Relay FM. So we've been talking and dancing around what, what we do for our data and backups. And uh, so let's let's see what you're doing. You're using a MacBook Pro basically as a desktop. And yeah. so, you know, you're kind of benefiting from stuff at your desk all the time. But walk us through what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot easier than it used to be. If you go back and listen to old backup shows, my backup situation is easier now than ever. I got rid of the little drives under the desk. Um, there's a four terabyte drive in my MacBook Pro. And that is generally plugged in to the Pro Display and a USB hub um, that is connected to a um, a new. I just bought this a few months ago, a an eight terabyte drive. So I went all in with a external SSD. Amazon had a deal, and I I texted you. You think I should buy it? And you said yes. I did buy it on your Amazon account, by the way. I, hope I appreciate you got something that. For that. But the, uh, yeah, I, I bought this huge drive and uh, I, it, it was a buy once, cry once situation and yeah. I love it. And everything is just super backed up. Uh, two or three years ago, I bought a four terabyte SSD that I put in an OWC enclosure. So what I have done is the eight terabyte is now the time machine backup, which is like blindingly fast time machine. <laughs> and, um, the four terabyte is um, archive storage. And my data profile at this point is around the five terabyte size, you know, and I've got about three of it internally and about two of it externally. And um, then I have a Backblaze account attached to that. So I guess there's my three, two, one, you know, I've mm-hmm. got, um, I've got Backblaze plus the, uh, the time machine, but I also bought, um, from OWC, two spinning drives and metal enclosures, just nice aluminum enclosures. Yeah. It costs a little extra as opposed to like going to like Best Buy, but I'm a big fan of OWC. I just feel like their stuff is built to last. And it was like $150 instead of $100. It wasn't that much more, but Mm -hmm. I bought two of them and I 
keep them in rotation. And I have one that stays uh, with a family member and one that stays in, uh, you know, in the house. And just once a month, OmniFocus says update the backups. So what I do is I update the one that's in the house and then I swap it with the family member. And so then I get the one back from the family member and I update that one. And I use um, a combination of ChronoSync and SuperDuper. I have a bunch of stuff I do on that drive to kind of back up everything. And it's great, you know. And it's I granted, it's not up to date. It's not within the hour. But if everything went wrong, you know, if the house burned down and Backblaze didn't do its job, I would at least have a within 30 days backup offsite. And um, so that was... That was smart, I thought. And uh, so I did that there in rotation. And that's really kind of my backup. Uh, now, granted, as I just told you in the last segment, I do squirrel away backups, like, you know, just in case kind of thing. And uh, for the MacBook Air, which is the new family member, I just have a little two terabyte SSD that I had around and I turned it into a time machine backup. It's one of those, it's not even like full laptop size. It is very small. And I keep it in a drawer and once a week I plug it in. And I'm not really that worried about that MacBook Air because there's nothing that's exclusive to it. Sure. Everything on it is backed up everywhere else. But I just if I had to restore it, I, I would rather have a time machine backup yeah, on it. Of course. The other thing I do with backups now that um I historically didn't do is I have encrypted all of them because Apple makes it so easy now to encrypt time machine. They make it so easy to encrypt a drive that I just encrypt it all. Like when I'm passing drives around to family members and stuff, I would rather have all the data kind of locked down on it. And we didn't mention that in the show, but it's very easy to encrypt a drive with macOS at this point. Yeah, I think uh, Time Machine even basically, it doesn't force you to do it, but it very strongly recommends you do it. <laughs> yeah, and it's just a checkbox. I mean, it's yep. not hard. Yeah, I do the same thing. Um, and it means if somebody were to get their hands on it, they, they can't see see what's on it. But, you know, in years past when I was running a raid and when I was doing this, you know, when I had, you know, a time machine over the, over the air, it's just time capsule. Remember time capsule? Oh, I, yeah. I just, everything was so much more complicated and I'm just kind of really kind of happy now with my situation. The, the trick to all of this is kind of keeping my data profile low enough to fit within affordable drive technologies. Mm-hmm. And that has forced some decisions. Like I am making like probably 20 videos a month and I, well, I mean, around I'm making a lot of video right now for the labs. I'm also making a ton of video for field guides and I've made really this, you know, important decisions about what gets kept and what I don't keep, you know, because of this decision. Like if I wanted to keep all of my source files for everything I create, I would have to get into, you know, raid or something bigger and like really expand the whole thing. And I've made decisions about not keeping stuff just because of that. I want to stay within this profile. Hopefully that can continue. I don't know. I mean, we'll see, but I'm, I'm making a lot of video right now. So that that creates really big files, but I've just decided for a lot of this stuff, I'm going to keep the final video and and toss everything else. Mm -hmm. So for me, uh, my data set is really pretty large. Uh, so my Mac Studio, I sprung for the eight terabyte solid state drive internal. It really hurt to hit that checkbox, but I did it. Uh, currently, I've got three terabytes free um, on the internal drive. 
But don't you back up a lot of the Relay FM data too? So I have a complete copy of everything we've ever published on Relay FM that auto updates every couple of days in the background. I have my Apple history stuff. I, I I'm like you. I don't keep the raw edit or original files for my videos or my podcast. I keep them for the podcast for about two weeks and then they go away. But I work with a lot of big files and I have a lot of big files. And it was just over the tipping point where the four terabyte wasn't an option. And so uh, I spung for the eight, even though I've got three free. So I've got some breathing room and it gets backed up to an eight terabyte external drive every night using carbon copy cloner, which you mentioned earlier. So 2 a.m. Mac Studio wakes up, it mounts the clone drive, it updates it, it ejects it, the machine goes back to sleep. And if I have it set up where if there's ever an error, it will email me. But each morning I just have a little notification waiting for me saying, hey, your backup finished at 2.13 a.m. Everything's good. And uh, that's, that's been really nice. So that, if if the Mac Studio kicked it, or if my time machine drive failed somehow, I, I have that backup. It's also, of course, all going up to Backblaze. Uh, and uh, I've been running that for years. My time machine volume is a 16 terabyte uh, setup. It's actually two eight terabyte drives uh, set up as a span. So it's not really a RAID, but basically it fills up drive one and then goes to drive two. System sees it as one volume. I'm okay with that for time machine, that if my time machine drive fails, it's a bummer, but it's not the end of the world. Um, and that and the clone drive, it's all SSD and it's all in OWC cases. Again, they're aluminum, they're nice looking, they're bus powered. This is all USB-C, so it's fast. And um, those sit in a little stack behind the foot of my display. You know, I had the Mac Pro and all this was internal, which was awesome. And I do miss the internal storage, but this is effectively the setup I had, and I can't see the cases, right? They're behind the display. I got a stream deck. I got audio gear. I can't see behind my display at all. So, I mean, really, I can mount them to the underside of the desk. It's just the way my desk is set up. There's not a great place to do it where I wouldn't hit them with my knee. So they're stashed away. So I'm all SSD on my main setup. The Mac Studio, obviously, the Time Machine, the Clone, that stuff is by no means necessary. Some of this is a side effect of how I had my Mac Pro set up, that these SSDs were inside the tower, so I already had them. I didn't, you know, it, it was, I already had them, so I might as well continue to use them. Yeah. You can totally use spinning hard drives for things like Time Machine or clones or whatever, but I already had the SSDs, so I was willing to, to do it. And it means that it's silent. And that is important to me as someone who records audio, right? The air conditioning's off. I don't want a hard drive spinning and clicking in the background. And uh, and so it's all quiet and fast and completely ridiculous and overkill, but that is what I've done. Yeah, when I bought the 8 terabyte, I was that's one of my justifications is as I grow probably into that as my archive drive, uh, I'll have it. And, you know, they're going to last forever. But the, yeah. um, well, not forever, but you know what I mean. A long time. Something I know, your setup really isn't that different than mine. I have the archive drive, which holds another four terabytes in addition to my four internal, but you don't have one. So you're basically just getting everything inside your main drive. Yeah, if I had done the four terabyte Mac Studio option, I would need an archive drive outboard. You know, and, yeah. and there, I even have a folder called archive. It's in my documents folder. Like that could be external pretty easily, but I wanted everything um, 
internal uh, as much as I could because that's what I was coming from. I didn't want yeah. a, a bunch of stuff everywhere, and so uh, I've been I've been really happy with this. And you know, going all SSD, I mean, my time machine backups are so fast; like it's it's really nice. Um, and uh, even on my notebook, my MacBook Pro, I use a little Samsung external, you know, two terabyte SSD. And I use that for time machine on that really because it's really small. So it's easy to carry with me if I'm, you know, going to WDC for a week, uh, but yeah. also it's silent and pretty robust. And so I'm using a, a, a small external SSD for that laptop backup as well. And I've been, been happy with that. Yeah. Nice. I, you know, you don't have to put it all internal if you're listening to this. No. I mean, you could, and, and I think some good rules of thumb for that is if you're going to have an archive drive or an external drive, you put data on, you just need to be aware of that because a lot of times, you know, time machine is not going to back. Well, time machine, for example, is not going to back that up. Absolutely. So that is now off the grid in terms of your backup system. So you need to have some other solution. That's one of the reasons why I have those, those big spinning drives and I yep. have the account with backblaze, but just be aware of it. And then as a user, you just want to be, have really clear lines drawn between what is stored where, like for me, the field guides are a massive amount of data. And right now they fit on my internal four terabyte, but I'm getting close to where I'm going to have to put some of the older ones on the archive. I'm not looking forward to that because then I'm going to have to remember where everything is, but you know, yeah. uh, just get clear lines in your head about what is where and let's make rules and it'll be easy. It's not, it's not that bad. No, no. I mean, usually you can find a, a logical breaking point, right? Like for maybe for yours, it's, you do it by year or something, yeah. you know, th there, yeah. there are definitely ways to do that. And even with like Dropbox or iCloud drive, right. There's some things I want there. Some things I don't, everybody kind of has to find that for themselves, I think. Yeah. And just like three or four years ago, a four terabyte SSD is unimaginable. And now you can get an eight terabyte one, yep. which is, is not like cheap, but it no. is not gonna, you know, break not entire. Well, you know what I mean? It's, 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 um, almost reasonable to get yeah. a terabyte. Uh, so just think three or four years from now, what's it going to be? Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're all kind of in this race of accumulating data versus the drive technologies getting faster and cheaper. Yep. Yeah. We're definitely over that tipping point, like I said. And, and that's, that's really exciting because the, the benefit of going solid state is just so awesome. Yeah. Well, there have been a lot of changes with drives and backups and storage media but uh, hopefully we gave you a nice overview today. You can maybe do an audit of your own system. If you've got questions, let us know in the forums. Love to hear what you're doing. Um, I know I'm not the only manic person about these backups listening to this show. I'm sure some of us have gone way overboard, but, you know, it's my data. Don't want to lose it. You know, I talked about on the show in the past how when I was in the Apple store one day and there was this woman next to me who lost all of her college photos. Yeah. And she was just sitting there. She wasn't making any noise, but tears were just running down her face. And I felt so bad for her. You know, just yeah. so bad. And like, and you worked in an Apple store, so you probably saw that much more than I did. Yeah. Uh, but that sticks with you. And it does. you really want to make sure you have a system. And, and for your loved ones, it's not a bad idea. Like listening to the show today, I think I've got a little sloppy with my family. I think I'm going to probably... Uh, probably put them all on backblaze uh, later today just to be safe. But the, um, uh, you know, take care of those around you, take care of yourself and, um, and simplify. That's the other big one. 
this year. I think it's in the years past, we would tell you to buy a RAID. I'm not sure you need one anymore. I think that does it. I feel, I feel good about where we are with our data. All right. We are the Mac Power Users. You can find us at relay.fm slash MPU. Thank you to our sponsors, 1Password, Electric, Squarespace, and Sourcegraph. We'll see you next time.